people talking, hunters everywhere. Doesn't get any better. I, the only thing I was wondering is like, is this headset going to mess my hair up? Pretty much a one species wander. So all I know is Samba deer, but the more, the more I think I know, the more I realise I need to learn more. There's a there's a movement in the blackberry bushes and the cloak of invisibility gets switched off and Rogers appears. With the crazy world we live in today, many of us seek adventure of the unknown. Join the five of us everyday Aussies from all walks of life, share stories from men and women of all hunting camps. From tips and techniques to the emotional rollercoaster ride fulfilling a lifelong dream, there is a story to be told by all. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. Yeah. Now we're good to go. So we're recording. Um, so welcome to part two of our New Zealand trip. Um, I know that it's been a little bit in depth, but at the same time we didn't want to kind of breeze or blow over things that we thought were maybe um, important to new hunters, either getting into hunting or hunters like us three, which were literally New Zealand virgins before we went. Yep. Correct, um, yep. And the amount of things that we had to find out on the fly... Um, to help anyone out that's um, looking at hunting New Zealand. So part one we covered off on permits, how we got together, um, planning, distribution of different tasks, um, clothing that we wore, boots, tents, all yeah, those sort yep. of bits and pieces. Um, the, the other thing I guess I'd like to just um, touch on is if you were going to go hunting with a group of guys um, and guys, as I said in the first part, as I mean of boys and girls, I would make sure that if I was going to be spending five days or more out in the wilderness with some people, that I could, A, trust them. You're a pretty tight bunch, yeah. B, that um, you know that you're all on the same page. Mm. And C, you do have a bit of a plan together. Because there'd be nothing worse than all of that falling apart halfway through your trip because someone actually thought that they were going to be at cafes every day and hanging out in a motel and they hated it in the bush. At the, at the burger. Yeah. yeah. And, um, or just going on their own solo hunt away from the group. Yeah. Just dump, dump the herd. Yep, Catches. So, <laughs> so having, having that, that in mind, if you're planning to go somewhere and a buddy of yours says, oh, can I bring along Gigolo George and you've never met him before, um, it might be something that you do at home. Um, for a couple of hunts first to get to know that person yeah. um, because sometimes someone, this might be your once in a lifetime hunt that you yeah. go overseas and someone can really put a spoiler on that when um, they're not part of who you want to be around with, particularly mentally when you want to go somewhere and just be quiet, enjoy yourself. You might be one of those guys or girls that like to party a little more. I don't know, whatever, but um, that you're on the same page. Anyway, so we've spoken about prior. Let's talk about on the ground in New Zealand, I guess. Um, and I'll throw over to you, Brando, because uh, you organised the car to start with. Yep. Um, but our car was a ripper. I, I thought it was unreal. It was a Japanese import um, <laughs> Toyota. No, it was yeah, a Honda Civic. Yeah, field, yeah uh, listeners, by the way. Yeah, it wasn't. It was <laughs> uh, Hilux Surf, the um, Japanese one. Yeah, it's got electric windows in the back and the stuff like that. Um, Petrol. Yeah, it was petrol, not diesel, so which is good, good enough to worry about freeze over. Um, I don't know how much um, diesel is big in New Zealand. Obviously, all their trucks and stuff like that are, but um, it's expensive though. But yeah, yeah, petrol is 
very pricey. Nearly two dollars. Yeah, nearly two forty. I think in uh, Christchurch. I think a, a um, liter. That's not a gallon either. Yeah. That's one yeah. liter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, uh, I think before we left, we were doing a bit of research on the day on the prep day. Um, and the first couple of ones that jump up out when you Google um, four-wheel drive rentals, New Zealand, you know, you're looking at like five, six hundred bucks a day for some of that stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah. I can't. Yeah, like- <laughs> that's way out of my budget, <laughs> even though we're splitting it. But um, so then, you know, done a little bit more research. And I, I don't know if like who, I think Marty maybe even looked on social media and someone gave us a hot tip and, Ended up finding fourwheeldriverentals.co.nz, um, and yeah, they were awesome. I straight away clicked on the website, got an email, started talking with uh, Ross, who was, I think he was actually um, liaising via Queensland, so he goes in between the um, Queensland and Christchurch yep. or you know New Zealand, um, and yeah, he had a couple of uh, high like surfs, like they got an older version and a newer version, but um, I think. Oh, I was about a hundred bucks a day or something yep. like that. Um, and then I just organized our own car insurance for it. Cause everyone online told me that they'll charge you 25 bucks a day. But if you organize your own, it'll only be $5 a day. So I just teed up the, um, the insurance on the vehicle through a separate, um, company. Um, Cause some of the things you want to look at is parking your car in a remote location for five days in a car park where it's going to be on its own. Yep. So you wanted to look at... And some don't cover um, gravel, driving the vehicle off gravel. Like, So you might get um, you know, insurance um, for the vehicle and you think you're covered, but if you go on a gravel road, if you read the subclause, you're not covered. Yeah. Anything happens. <laughs> it's up yeah. to you. Yeah. You're paying it out of your own pocket. Yep. And um, yeah. yeah, too, with the vehicle too, make sure you get enough storage, I guess. Make sure you get a big enough car yeah. you can fit all your gear in. Yeah, um, we're sort of lucky. Like there's three of us and there was just enough room with one rifle, two bows, three big packs and then a big box of food for all of us. Yep. Um, yeah, so if you had had four, like you could have made it work, but it would have been really squishy. Yeah, there. pretty tight. Um, so yeah, that was good. Um, so, what company was it? One that was the full drive rentals. I think it's .co.nz. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when we landed, it wasn't that they actually came pick us up from the yeah, airport. Yep. So I emailed him um, via email. We're talking and liaising, and he said, "You know what flight number you're on, time frame, that sort of stuff." And ended up, I think we just messaged or called him as soon as we landed, and then he just rocked up in a car, picked us up at the airport with our gear. We managed to just like punch it all into the back of that little car that he had in the boot yep and uh took us down to this dodgy looking little it place was. and we're like what have we got here <laughs> oh my goodness yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like industrial state yeah <laughs> at but, what um, time was it like late late yeah, yeah it was probably about six or seven o'clock six or seven p.m yeah by the time yeah. worries about the pop out and yeah i didn't yeah. think we we're going to come home but yeah uh yeah no that was good it's um, unreal we went in there just straight up signed some paperwork got our vehicle out Started up, no worries. Didn't have a trouble with it at all the whole trip. Yep. Um, yeah. So I think reading the paperwork too, it takes a minute, but read your paperwork to yep. make sure that you've got windscreen insurance, that you've got those other bits and pieces that you may have thought you did. Even your your travel for the day. So some companies have like in the clause, they might say a kilometre, you know, you can do 100 k's a day, but then after that, it'll be 
you know, $5 per kilometre or $25 per kilometre. So even stuff like that, you need to really have a good look at. Yeah, because I think we had a hundred... Do we have a hundred kilometres a day? I think we had a hundred or 110. But I don't even think you really looked at the end of the day. And yeah. If we, if we... I think we did maybe 600 and we had it for six days or seven days. So we were inside... Within the, the band. But, um, yeah... I don't even really remember him like looking at the odometer when we parked. And yeah, no, he's a pretty cool, casual yeah. guy. Yeah. yeah, he was legend. So I could I couldn't actually speak any highly or any more highly of uh, the company, especially for the airport pickup. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah, and happy to drop us off as well at the end of the trip. You know, like oh, you guys okay? No dramas. Just return it clean and those sort of things. Yeah. So the four-wheel drive itself was something that we chose, uh, particularly for the fact that we were going to be going to our very first chosen location off-road uh, we're given a hot tip about a track and that we may have required a four-wheel drive to go up there and I think that it's better to hire a vehicle that is capable of doing all of that um, and risking the country to be a little more than what the locals say it is than hiring a Isuzu Biopta <laughs> <laughs> And hoping that it just is going to get you there and you end up blowing a diff somewhere or something else, you know. Yeah. Or Actually, you can't fit all the gear in there. Yeah, that, that yeah. totally. <laughs> Been a bit a bit um, robust, I think, if you're going to be um, like we were, just unguided, who knew where we are going to go or what we are going to do. Uh, but having that ability to say, well, okay, this place is no good, let's move to plan B. And as it turned out, we needed that to be able to go, well, we can go down there and go down a logging road and all those sort of bits yeah. and pieces. We're yeah. not talking like, yeah, drowning your car over the bonnet in water and stuff yeah. like some people do, but yeah, just just pretty much like a... Driving on scree and slide and rock and stuff. You know, yeah. You're not going to do that with a tool drive car. No. no. So um, that that's something in itself to look into, but um, Marty, who gave you that tip that was one of our... I think that was um, Kimmy Guest and Ivan when they were over there in... March maybe yep. they were only over there probably yeah this year maybe yep. month oh no it might have been last year I can't remember but yeah we just messaged those guys and they were pretty much in the same area and we said oh what guys did you go with I think I said check them out so yeah thanks for the tip guys that was really good yeah I think um, like I said Lena, reaching out to your um, local hunting groups is certainly a, a good thing when you need to go past the information that you may be uh, gleaming from gleaning from this podcast but um, if you're writing down four wheel drive speak to some people that are on social media that are you know similar to you Australian based and all those sort of bits and pieces and what do I need and all those sort of things at the end of the day I think it was the best um, car that I've been as a hire car for where we took it in between Brendo's organ playing <laughs> harmonica he's actually pretty cool on the harmonica and we did some road trip music and uh, you know it was pretty cool but um yeah it was a really really good really good um thing that turned out i guess that um it was a, a relief um moving on from that i guess the four-wheel drive was pretty cool um to accommodation i organize accommodation um so it doesn't really matter where or what you stay in over there depends on your budget. And we paid for some pretty backpacky type accommodation and it was pretty good. And uh, I can't say enough about the fact that we went over there in peak season and I pre-booked, but at the same time there was a couple of times when we had our plans changed that we were eight, we, we were quite capable and able of paying 80 bucks a night and getting a room big enough for three blokes Um 
a, a room, I should say. That was each. You know. By the way. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, what do you call them? A little apartment. We all, all had our yeah, own. Yeah, yeah. A couple of rooms and then, yep. you know, a shower and toilet to share and, and the main kitchen and living area. So. Yep. Massive. Big, big, good accommodation. Clean. You didn't feel like you went into some sort of crime scene. It was actually, yeah. you know, you could just find any of that stuff. It was off. actually neat and clean and, yeah. Yeah, quite quite acceptable. But just do your research before you go so that if you do need to organise your accommodation, do so. Look at um, proximity to the airport so you're not paying a ridiculous amount of money in taxi or Uber to get yourself to to your accommodation if that's what's required on the yep. first night. Um, but there's just endless amounts. It depends yeah. on your budget. So you can even, like what we said that we know now, like you could even... You could land on the morning. Yeah, you can, leave, you can land in Christchurch if you get a direct flight um, yeah, AM. Um, by the get time you food. get out, or get, your get, car. get your car, get your food, and you could be in there by the Arvo, hunting by the Arvo. Like if you are time poor, I guess. Yep. Yeah, you don't have to do accommodation. No, no. but but it was just, it was just nice, especially it. yeah with the on the exit. It was actually really good to have a dry day. Yep. Yeah, so, so we, we could wash our clothes, make sure. Yeah, there's no fit custom stuff. Yeah, no else. seeds and all that stuff in our Dirt, gear. Yeah, clean, clean boots, clean all that, clean the tents. Because they do go through all that stuff. So throttling back from that, going back to when we first hit the ground, um, particularly with the firearm, there was a bit of interest from the authorities in relation to the firearm that we actually got, all three of us got segregated off from the main crowd where we actually went through a customs inspection and they went through all of our gear and I wanted to look at our tents, our gear, had we used it elsewhere, gaiters, boots, gaiters yeah. boots, all that sort of stuff. Knives even. Yep. Yeah. It was important to make sure that you keep your gear accessible clean and don't try and tell any um, porcupines in relation to the, the fact that you may have been hunting somewhere else. Yeah. Just be honest, just be straight up. They they really weren't too much of a hassle. They have a job to do and that's to keep their biodiversity um, secure and to make sure that they're not having some foreign um, import turn up yeah, in New Zealand and, and, and destroy yeah, their own natural land. So yeah. just make sure your stuff's clean before you go. If it's not clean, they'll um, put it through a process where it does get sterilised. Um, and if you think that you're going to say, oh, I've got no tents in here or whatever else, when you're at that point, they still x-ray your gear. Yep. So they can see there's tents in there. And all it's going to do is just slow you down. And if Delayed you get process. someone that's just a um, little bit grumpy, yeah. they can keep you in there for hours. Yep. So just actually ask advice to say, hey, I have, like for me, I had a brand new Marmot that was, uh, sorry, brand new Marmot, it was a brand new Hilleberg that... This was its its first run, so I said to the guy, "This is its first run. It hasn't been out of the bag. This is like we've still got the tag with it." And it was like, "That's cool. Just keeping your pack all good." Where Brendo's looked like a school kid that had been bullied for fifteen years and run out of band aids, you know. <laughs> so he couldn't quite say that this is a brand new <laughs> tent, you know, or bag. And and he said, "That's cool. We'll just get it out. We have a look at it. Make sure there's no sort of grass seeds in it, whatever else." And it was wasn't really a big fuss for us, you know. No, it was probably an extra 10 or 15 minutes maybe. We had to wait for it to get um, cleaned and stuff in. Um, yeah. We did have a connecting flight to make it to, but yeah. Yeah, that's right. Because that was when we landed and went through customs. Yeah. So. yeah, so I think um, oh, I should actually come back to when we first went to Melbourne because we didn't cover that off, even though I said we were going to. Just quickly, in less than five minutes explain about what we did when we hit Melbourne Airport, what you would do again, and the correct procedure with your firearm. 
Brando. Yep. <laughs> Righto. So we rocked up with gear, rifle, bows, walked in. I knew I had to find somewhere for the rifle to take it. I had to take it to the client services office or desk, order it is, where the, um, you know, the, the right staff are there, the police officers and stuff, to look over the firearm. And this is at Melbourne Airport? Yeah, Tullamarine. Um, and I think we ended up going upstairs, like walking around for 20 minutes, trying to find out where it was. Then we maybe went to the airline and went to load stuff on and then realised that, that they said, it, you know, you've walked straight past it. It's, it's as you walk in down the bottom there. Um, you need to go there first and, and go through the process. And get an escort. And get an escort. <laughs> so we've been meant to be walking around. running around the airport <laughs> for 25 minutes, wondering what the hell to do, dragging an, our firearm around with us everywhere, just yeah. uh, in a hard case. When the correct procedure is to go downstairs, I believe it is at Melbourne Airport. Yeah. Find there's at the customs office. Yeah, or I the can't remember the name ASP. of the little office there. Yeah, there's, a, there's an office there. They book your rifle in. Yeah. Then they send some uh, an escort with you to the... After they've looked over it and checked your, your proper paperwork yep. and everything's in order, yeah. Then you'll get handed an escort and then he'll follow you until your rifle has been handed off to the uh, Connected airline. Connected flight, the yeah, starting flight. To the yep. staff. Yep. And then they just check it in and it goes into the oversized baggage, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, well, mine had to, but if it's... Oh, it might still have to, even if it is uh, you know, the right size. I'm not too sure. Yep. Yeah, mine was oversized, the dimensions. Yep. That's another good thing too, is keep that in mind. If you've got a small enough case, like check your, your length and weight and width d- dimensions before you fly because you might be able to get away with not paying oversized. Yep. You've got the standard, yeah, Pelican case like you had. Yeah, I've got a big, yeah, the full looks like a Hitman style case. Tactical wheel around. Tactical wheel around. Yeah. But, but you also had to wait in um, the... F- police checkpoint too didn't you because there was another couple of guys in there with their guns yep so that's another thing they mentioned before you fly out you need to allow a good chunk of time to sit down and go through the permits and if they're if they're processing other people you know you're gonna have to take a turn and i was just lucky that i was the first one in there but not long after me two other blokes were flying out to new zealand as well separate flights but um similar time frame so they did all three of us together and then um, we sort of all went up together as a group. So um. yeah, so that's um, to to get to the end of that, I guess. If you l- know that your flight's going out at seven o'clock in the morning and you think oh, I'll be cool, you might turn up at six o'clock or five yeah. o'clock for two hours prior to an international yeah. flight, and then add another hour before that. Yep. In case there is all that processing to be done mm. and and a bit of leeway to find the place, and you don't want to. Yeah, risk it for the biscuit. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's, <laughs> I think that's the lesson to take away from here that, um, you know, getting there just two hours before because an international flight says two and thinking that your firearm's going to get checked in is not always going to be the case that you can, you know, blow your timings out and all of a sudden your two buddies are sweating it upstairs going... Where's Brando? Where is Brando? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we had ours through, ready to go. Um, yeah. And, and they're not always there, are they? No, yeah, sometimes you might have to press a bell depending on your flight and your time and that sort of stuff. Yeah. You might have to press a bell. Depends on the Krispy Kreme's opened or not. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's another point. So, allow, yeah, like it says on the paperwork, allow two hours, I reckon. Well, yeah, allow you two hours for your international it's flight fl- and then and add another hour. Yep. At least another hour for the federal police. To go through yeah. that process of your yep. firearm. So, that's, um, that's just a bit of 
knowledge that we never had and um, I hope it helps someone, I guess, when they do want to take their firearm overseas that that's the right thing to do. Don't, don't go walking around the airport with your firearm. You might end up... We were just lucky that we're three good-looking fellas and don't look like... like um, <laughs> Anyone with some bad malice, but um, take your firearm straight away downstairs you, to the Melbourne airport, that is, that's our experience, and you'll find someone down there in one of those um, areas in the either the AFP Den, or... Denny, the Qantas, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. I think it was AFB, yeah. AFP, AFP, the Federal yeah. Police, yeah. You'll find someone there that'll help you. If you aren't in the right area, they'll certainly point you in the right area. Um, don't go traipsing around for 20 minutes wondering what to do because you're just losing time and getting behind in the queue. So we flew, the flight itself was fantastic, it's not very long, it was a good flight, I uh, can't remember who we flew with to start with, whether it was Air New Zealand or whatever else, but um, I, we just picked a rep- reputable sort of carrier, yep. got over there, um, we had a connecting flight we had to meet, so there was a little bit of um, Johnny stuff around yep. between getting stuff off one Tents, flight. rifles, yeah. So maybe give yourselves a little bit of time between the connecting flights, longer than we thought we or needed. Or fly direct. Yep, yep or fly direct. <laughs> so I uh, booked the flights and I honestly thought that there wouldn't be an issue with us, um, that we were actually able to go and do a bit of shopping or something similar when we hit the deck, but um, we just ran out of time completely and because we were also over there for a bit of a vacation as well or a holiday. Um, and hit our connecting flight. Went and picked up our four-wheel drive, went back to accommodation. Um, I think we had ridiculously huge pizzas and ridiculous amounts of beers to celebrate our um, yeah. on the ground in New Zealand finally. And then got ready the next day. We went um, over to um, Hunting and Fishing New Zealand to pick up a yep. few... Ammunition. Ammunition. Yep. Auto um, harness. Jet, jet, jet boil gas. Because yeah, um, you can't fly with your whatever cooking system you can't take your gas on the aeroplane so when you get over there it's pretty easy um some gloves and yeah beanies and bits and pieces that we yeah which we wanted to sort of check out and oh. see what their range was like they have stony creek hunt tech and hunters element but they got like literally i don't know 20 meter i don't know 20 meter racks of it like nothing here in australia and you get to actually see and touch and feel all the different products over there so it was pretty cool yeah and we hooked up with katie from stago as yep. well Yep, and then Tom Jones as well. We had lunch yep, with Tom, him. Tom Jones, yeah. yeah. So it's good crew. Yeah, getting your yeah really good crew. So got the, um, a few dehydrated meals there as well. Yep. Um, yeah. So they've got um, what do they have? They had the backcountry you cuisine. Backcountry, but they had, they had that, that absolute um, wilderness. I think it is. Yeah, yeah black is and um, green black. trim or whatever it is. Yeah, or maroon trim around it. Which I, I rate better. Yeah. Than the. Um, in the back country. Yeah. The backed up country. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I just use back country, but that's because I, yeah, I've used it before. And I think I fed back country out to some cattle when I needed a salt <laughs> lick block. You know, it was, you know, the difference is uh, it's just extraordinary. The stuff they've got in New Zealand um, over there, their meals are absolutely fantastic that you can buy on the ground over there. So that way, too, you're not having to tick the boxes on the bringing food into the country yeah. and yep. whatever else. Yep. So we, we decided that when we hit the ground over there, the reasoning behind us going to the hunting and fishing New Zealand store was purely for the fact that it would bomb up on the stuff that we chose not to bring, which reduced the weight of what we were going to be flying with. And we knew that we'd eat it or dump it um, in more than one sense um, when we were coming back to Australia. So it reduced the weight of 
um, import as well. Yeah, yeah, correct. Yep. So um, we bought our supplies there. Uh, had lunch in the pub with um, Tommy and with, his with Tommy and his crew. crew yeah. Yep. And it was just absolutely fantastic. I think that I had ribs, pork ribs. Or why wouldn't I have yeah. pork in New Zealand? You know. Um, the only thing I'd like to um, tip my hat to the young players is when you order a beer over there, it comes out in like a Stein Lagen. Spates, spates and spates. <laughs> <laughs> it was liters. So um, anyway, long story short, we then um, I was drinking and drinking and then we got on the road. Brando was driving. So Brando was driving. He had a so, midi. So he had, he had a midi and um, we got on the road that afternoon and scooted off to a hunting area. Yeah. Uh, so we went up to the Mount Cook area and um, we bombed up in area A and decided this is so cool, we're so happy. Like I think I slept a lot of the way and maybe snored a little bit. But um, <laughs> Social metering and sleeping <laughs> is what I see yeah. in the rear view mirror. <laughs> yeah. So um, we got Lucky up to our... in the back seat, <laughs> so <it's fine. laughs> Seven litres of beer does that to any sort of camel. But um, we got up to our first hunting area and um, lucky, like we were saying in our prep that we did prior to leaving, plan A, uh, it felt really weird for us, I think, that when we got undressed in the car park from our civilian clothing into a hunting attire and the whole car park was covered in families just having fun and whatever else and particularly, I think, because they had that that, um, really shitty incident down in the the mainland, the uh, massacre. Yeah, I really don't like to talk about it because it's just a shit of a thing that happened yeah. to everyone. But they just had that happen, and here we were, three blokes getting full cams with military-style backpacks and guns and whatever else the public look at, and we're waving at them, going, "It's okay, nothing to see here." <laughs> you know, we yeah. waited yeah. till it got dark yeah. so we could move off. It felt really yeah. awkward. It was it was a bit daunting. Yeah, we're and like, it, oh, if do we're we... in Australia and you got out. In a, you know, in a car park like that, full of that people, that yeah. that crowd too, that demographic that you see there, and all that clothing is just so left wing that you would not even want to get out the rifle, you know. And yeah. I, I felt so awkward, yeah. You know, pulling that rifle out and then having to quickly jam it inside the pack. And the only thing I'm going to equate it to it. is going to the beach on a Saturday in the middle of summer, getting your hunting gear out, three blokes getting out their thirty oh sixes. Loading them up and saying, we're just going training, guys. Don't worry about us. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that um, we all had that same similar feeling. You know, we had to string our bows and get our bows together. And there was quite a bit of interest in what we were actually doing because we're getting dressed into what a, a, a person who isn't involved in hunting would see as military-style clothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're all pretty fit bunnies. So we're looking, you know, pretty dapper in a way. We don't just look like the average McDonald's flipper. We're putting on these huge packs and um, literally we're glassing the hills around the car park because there's tar and chamois yeah. like right there and we're all pretty G'd up and we waited till dark so we could scoot off. We walked, I don't know, maybe 25 minutes to half an hour into our walk and then we came to the first bridge over the major river that said, bum, bum, closed due to avalanche, do not go any further. Yep. Uh, and we scratched our heads and thought, well, that's a bit of a... Thing. Bummer, yep. Yeah. So we turned around and walked back to the car park that we just walked out of yeah. and, and walked through the middle of and we had a hundred spotlights turn on us like yeah. who are yeah. these freaks? Um so just ignore that stuff and just smile and wave like the penguins the, do on the kids' they show. They are really accepting yeah, over there yeah, in New Zealand. Like there's yeah, different motorhomes, tents, um, day trippers, 
yeah, just every, I don't know how many people there. There were heaps. There probably would have been nearly a hundred people. All I reckon, the in that era. that you bumped into, they were cool lads. Yeah, you know, they were fine even people with coming it. up for photos and stuff, and they're like, oh, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, going up there. And yeah, it's all there. the internationals that sort of seem to be curious what we're doing. But the New Zealanders like, you getting any break? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you getting any break? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think that that was itself a pretty. Um, like I said, it maybe it just been an assumption from our point of view coming from Australia, but it's just something to remember that not everyone across the international world sees hunting every day. Yeah. That New Zealand, it's part of what New Zealand is. But when you have people bringing their family over to come and see some glaciers, yeah, you know, from yeah, hiring a motorhome and yeah, yeah. going so around the trip of the South Island, the beautiful yeah. hills, <laughs> you know, and and then three lads just appear, yeah, in a four wheel drive and pull out all their stuff. Who knows what their sort of experience or contact with, um, you know, any sort of disaster that's occurred recently in the news, you know, yeah. and and that might put them on edge. So, as a hunter, don't be alarmed. Just um, be aware of the fact that some people mightn't like your activities. Some people just might be interested in, in your activity and what you're doing. Um, but don't I think be we were pretty aggressive. respectful. Like yeah. Brennan yeah. had that rifle sleeve that went over his rifle, then he strapped to his pack, so it didn't even look like he had. Wasn't like he was just holding it by the yeah the butt or holding it by the barrel, just waving just around the car pop, pop. Yeah. yeah, sort of just what we do here in Australia, I guess. Yeah. So had, Brenda had a low vis, I think is the name of the company. Um, rifle sleeve. Rifle yep. sleeve that uh, actually went over the rifle um, while it was on his backpack. And that was purely for the fact that um, not so much to hide it or disguise it, but it was actually for the fact that it was going to protect it from snow or any sort of water egress or things like that. But it actually ended up being a dual purpose sort of thing that it also did that as well. So we came back to the car, then decided that we were going to do Plan B, yep. Um, yep. and booted off. And I don't, I don't even remember what time of the morning it was that we actually got as far as we could possibly drive without having some sort of monster car from a, <laughs> you know, the thirty-eight inch tires and you know recovery winches. We decided that we'd pull up, uh, sleep for the short left time that was in the morning. Um, which we did, wake up to a beautiful scenery. Um, sunshine. Sunshine. It was freaking cold overnight though, I remember that. Minus eight overnight. Yeah. I scooted off and went and got some water, um, which also I guess is a learning point that New Zealand's full of water, but, ta- yeah, but take some sort of water um, tabs yep. so you can throw it in there. Or some sort of treatment. Yep, some sort yeah, of treatment. Although they say it is the clearest water, but like Brendan found a couple yeah, of t- dead tar. Think, yeah, think that it's clean water and there's just all these in the, dead tar in the river. up in the headwaters and you're drinking the water down the bottom. Yeah. So expect everything um, and take no chances, I guess, particularly on a trip. Yeah, correct, yep. So, yeah, that's where it sort of came into uh, effect, I guess, of having some really good gear that um, we had some good tent, some good sleeping gear, minus eight overnight, didn't affect any of us. Yeah. No. We were all fine. Yeah, it was a good test for the first first sort of night. Certainly. Then um, we packed up, um, and as far as packed our, our night shift tent up and camp up, and then we hiked, what did it take us, about four and a half, five hours? Yeah. To, to the hut, something yeah, like that? Yep, something like yeah, that. Yeah, about that, yep. yep. So... Um, for Just the bouldery terrain, yep. Yeah, for anyone li- listening, you might think, oh, four hours, I've walked that before. But a lot of people, um, like four hours, you can normally do about 15 Ks. 
Um, but the terrain that we had to walk around was unexpected because there was an unexpected slip in the track that we were taking and it had washed kilometres of the track away and replaced it with nothing but the devil's marbles. <laughs> <laughs> it was... Yep. It was hopscotch for like two hours, leaping from one rock to another rock with 30 or 40 kilos on your back. All the other junk that was uh, associated with landslides, trying to pick your way through to these tiny little markers that you may have identified through some binoculars yep. 700 metres away to go, we need to go to that marker. Stick on that Because yeah, yeah. that whole cliffside just eroded out or just been blown out so then you had to do like a massive turn i guess in the on the track and then yeah they had these high reflective markers but yeah like you were saying they were probably one every 100 meters it's just a, a a thing that you don't prepare for and marty and i both marty with his tripod with the precision um equipment um trekking poles trekking yep. poles and i had um trekking poles as well mine were leakies leakies yep um, did you have Breno? I just had climber's knees keeping me balanced. <laughs> climber's knees, yeah. He's up and down trees all day. I'm like a wounded old veteran that's <laughs> complaining. Yeah. But literally, the rocks were that big that you couldn't step from rock to rock comfortably in sections. You actually had to take little mini hops to the next rock. And there may have been between half a metre to a metre drop in between the rocks. So if you unlodged yourself then you were risking a serious injury. So it was quite a long way of um, challenging terrain to get yourself around. Um, and that is something that people that are used to walking on flat ground probably would find uh, quite a challenge. Oh, yeah, especially with a 30, 40 kilo slash pack on your back as well. So that comes down to what we are talking about before about good prep, having all your, your stabilisers firing to have good footwear that would actually have a good rand on them. And the rand is the piece of material that goes from the sole of your boot up about an inch around, it covers your whole boot so that it actually protects your, your boot from that excessive wear or rock damage. Side healing, yep. Side healing, um, you yeah, know, to... Good pack system. Good pack system, yep. Um, hydration, looking after your buddies to say, hey, bud, you, do you need a drink or do you want some hydrolite or... Because we we packed hydrolite as well because yep. it was it was quite quite a thing. Yep. Then um, there was sections of that track that we walked that were maybe a foot wide with a three hundred foot drop off on one side and maybe a thirty foot drop off on the other side um, to nearly sheer vertical climbs. Um, and me being the oldest by fifteen years, I think in the group, <laughs> I found some of those climbs. Challenging and with a Humphrey B bear belly. <laughs> <laughs> We've got some good videos of that, so hopefully they'll come out <laughs> soon. I reckon. Might have to get a few out. Seriously, though, there's some places uh, on some of those pl on some of those tracks that you have to suck it up, yep. and um, you know when you have. Well, how old was that girl in mid twenties that just came flittering past us? I'll oh, just bound and by, yeah, like you know, she's, she's like, going to do something ridiculous, like an a, iPhone and a, a, a rolled up like blanky a, bill blanket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like she was just gazelling across these rocks, and we're like, "Where are you going?" She's like, "Oh, right up the top, and then over the back to this other gorge system." We're like, "Oh, you know that's pretty far." She's like, "Yeah, I've done it before. It'll only take a few hours." And we're like, "It's taken us a few hours to get to here, and you're going up here." Like, <laughs> we're patting each other on the back, going, "It's okay, man. We're nearly there. We're done good." And this yeah. chick's like, 
Catches. Unbelievable, yeah. I think she was wearing jeans and not even any sort of hiking stuff, you know, and um, sandals. So, um, long story short, though, like you just need to train, I guess, to be fit enough to get past any sort of adventure that you don't think is, um, or the endless possibilities that can present to you. So, without rambling on too much, we got up to our hut where we were going to be staying, and that was up near Fox Glacier. Um, without being too specific, but you know, you know, you'll find where we were at. Um, now, Brendo. Yep. To bring you back on track. Yep. We were pretty elated when we got there, <laughs> <laughs> and then pretty disappointed after an hour or two of being there. Yeah, we had our lunch. Yep. Took our boots off, dried our socks out, got the uh, binos out, started ripping the hill a new one. And uh, just enjoying the scenery. Yeah. Yep. Um, and before we sort of got to that hut, when we were doing all that planning, before we even left Australia, and we're looking up all the hut systems and stuff like that, um, this hut in particular, it said that you didn't need to pre-book it. It's just first in best dress. Cool. No worries. So we were sort of under the opinion, you know, when we're walking there, that we may have to have the tents out. That's all right. But it'd be nice if we get there and get the hut. Get there, no one's there, hut's house, beauty. So we started, you know, put our packs in there and rolled our bags and sleeping mats out. And I think we're sort of like over on this bit of a rock drop-off bit, but we're looking up at the hill above the hut there and uh, having a bite to eat. And then these two beautiful-looking girls come strolling in, <laughs> look in the hut, took, look in the door, see all the gear in there, look over at us. And all three of us just knew straight away, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. for, for not the reasons you might be thinking of, but anyway, <laughs> they come over and they mention to us that the hut is actually uh, under like pre-booking at the moment for the, the tramping season or whatever it is. Um, and that they'd already pre-booked that morning, um, you know, before we got there that, and it was theirs and they have to radio into the, the dock office at a certain time. At seven and, o'clock that night. And there was three beds in there and there's three of us and two of them and they said, oh, one of you can stay in here if you want. <laughs> Which we all looked at Marty. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't happening. <laughs> but anyway, so we sort of all, that was, a, yeah, that was a bit of a kick in the guts actually. Because another guy rocked up and um, yeah, he's seen us there and he, he set said his tent up. Yeah, yeah. set his tent up and all that. So the, so the moral to the story, I guess, is that we did all the planning that we thought we needed to do and we looked at the huts that you needed to pre-book at in Australia. So when we got on the net, it was a hut that said that you, did, you couldn't pre-book. Yeah, correct. First yes. in best dressed. First in best dressed. But the moral to the story is some of those huts, particularly that are on tramping or... That's in the New Zealand term, but it's like a... Yeah, old, it's like hiking. Hiking, like bushwalking, you know, high popularity sort of areas. It would pay to drop into the local um, office that they have down there, the, the dock docks office, office yeah. and see if any of the huts that you're planning to stay in that maybe a four or five hour walk one way to are bookable. How it turns out, is that the hut that we stayed in, you couldn't book online, but first in best dressed at the local dock office. So first in best dressed didn't say first in best dressed at the hut. First in best dressed was six hours back at the dock office. Yeah, it's where, 7 a.m. when the office opens. Yeah. Yeah. 
and then you booked it and away you went. So New Zealand is full of huts and they, well not full, but there are a certain amount of huts that hunters hunt out of. We weren't really that comfortable, I don't think, with the amount of trampers that were going through or the backcountry hikers and stuff that were coming through with us setting up glassing tar from where we were and taking a shot with people walking back from glacial areas and all those sort of bits and pieces. It sort of felt a bit weird where we were. Yeah. So just do your research, people, on what is bookable, what actually bookable means. And what's not bookable? So if you're in backcountry, 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 where the hut says that um, minimal resource, you know, uh, I think they rate them on, you know, like some huts are like they can have 16 people in them and they've got hot water and they've You've got, got solar. Pay and and yep. They pay, pay by the user group. Some of them are bookable. Some of them are bookable if you're first in best dress type thing is what we found. And some of them are just like, yeah, whatever. If you want, if you want the rats that are running through the joint, go for it. Yeah. Um, so we ended up that afternoon. I may have carried on like a two bob watch, and said, I don't care. I'm packing up. I'm walking out the whole way back, and then we're going to drive to Area C. Yeah. Um, and I think that we all ended up following the whingy, being me. I think we're all on the same path. We're kind of like a bit pissed off with the... Yeah, and it it just felt overpopulated. I didn't want to hunt where there was like, you know, 30 or 40 people walking past every two hours. Because we just had that mountaineering group coming off the top of the other glacier. As well as the choppers that were going past flat out. Yeah, because of the fine weather, yeah. Which brings me to a point that when we walked out, and I'm trying to wind this, not wind it up, but to sort of like go through without it being a total recall. Um, go through our experiences. So we were up around that Fox Glacier area, which is popular with helicopter day trippers. Yeah, correct. And on our way in, we looked up a particular chute and we saw this huge black blob, which we all rode off because it was at a particular spot where you climbed a vertical climb, which was just pretty shitty. Yeah. With <laughs> our packs on and stuff. I think I was using my teeth at one stage to act <laughs> as stabilizers, you know, to climb up this cliff and you guys laughing at me. But anyway, um, and we all looked up this chute and was like, no, that can't be a tar. It's, like, it's been there for ages. It's black. It's a big bulky thing. It's a rock. We went to the hut. We did our thing. We got our boots off. We got kicked out of the hut. And on the way out, Brendo's like, hmm, you see that big black bulky thing up there that was a rock it's now feeding <laughs> and it was a bull tar and it was probably the tar of the trip yeah. it was just not awesome. like we've seen a heap but it was a good bull tar it was black from its nose to its toes yeah. through the mane it was awesome it was big from what were we about 800 900 900 can we range yep. it I think we ranged it yeah about but, 900 so you can add a bit more maybe so Give from train to get up there. From that far away to see a tar and go, oh my lordy, 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 I'm going to go to get church on Sunday and thank the <laughs> Lord for that. You know, like it was just amazing. So I decided because I'm like Humphrey B. Bear to protect our packs from the native birds <laughs> and stay at the bottom and call the guys. Seriously, though, I was going to stay where I was and call the guys, which was Marty and Brendo, to fire. Um, I was going to call them onto the tar. So as you climb up these chutes, you can actually get a little bit um, geographically embarrassed and maybe climb 
further to the right than you thought and then pop out in the wrong gully and I was going to stay with my eyes on the prize and call these guys across onto it. And unfortunately, from where I was, I could see this whole thing unravel where they climbed basically vertical for maybe six or 700 metres and worked their absolute guts out to get up onto the target and um, pretty much to the point where Brenda was getting ready or jostling for a shooting position onto this bull tar, which we had watched copulate with a nanny (laughs) (laughs) and literally and had a great old time and was was just chilling out on this this bench marty was his spotter and marty had followed him up and got up and brendo is like some sort of monkey up a coconut tree he can go straight up these screed screed slides like you wouldn't believe got into position pretty much got the rifle ready and then here comes a helicopter up out of the gully well, you know, from way back where's. And there must have been a couple of tourists in it that said, oh, can we look at that nice bull tar? <laughs> <laughs> and the helicopter literally put the skids on the tar and the tar wasn't actually doing much. So he nudged it with the <laughs> with the skids and the, the bull tar was like, catch you later, guys. <laughs> and was out of there. And these guys had climbed into the dark up this huge, ridiculously steep screw slide um, only to have a helicopter blow them off the mountain yep. so I heard the chopper obviously being up there and I thought nothing of it it's just another chopper well, we heard again. Many all day and then um, when I seen him double back and I was like uh oh especially yeah because where it was it just stood out like the proverbial um, and then <laughs> yeah and then Herbie's down waving and calls us on the GPS nah it's over it's gone and like oh my god like yeah it just took us so long to get up there and yeah, obviously half the time we get back, but yeah. it wasn't meant to be. No, it wasn't, but it was, it was a, a mag- taste. It was a taste, and it sort of fired us up. Um, so we walked out in the dark, um, and I don't know whether we would have done that if we hadn't walked in during the day to know what we were facing. Um, but having good head torch really is another another really good, yeah. um, you know, tip. Accessory. Not having a thirty dollar head torch that's like three LEDs, like having something that's actually going to illuminate. UA and have a backup and have a backup torch as well you know whether Not that's like that chick walking in in the dark with an iPhone torch yeah that yeah. we met right down the end <laughs> she had a so, $10 I don't know servo special or whatever that was about 10 lumens and then using her iPhone light as well so we took in what brand was that we took in Marty the Nightcore H33 I'm pretty sure yep Marty's my man with as far as knowing the technical data on nearly everything that we take or go someplace with and um, the Nightcore light really lasted a long time and gave us a long illumination so we could illuminate sort of up to that 100 metres honestly of path if we needed to without it draining the battery too much and after the guys came down off that tar which was just <laughs> absolutely amazing you know, um, and we got that on video as well, that um, we'd made our mind up that we weren't going to stay, that we were going to go and walk out and get to hunting location, maybe D or yeah. C or whatever <laughs> we're up to, which we did. We got back to the cars, packed up, and then able to move on. So the reason why we speak about that, I guess, is a little bit to the point that we were we were lucky enough to have done enough prep prior to going to New Zealand to go... Not give up. Okay, well, we'll just move on to the next point. And like Brando just said, we don't give up. And we, we got to halfway to our location and we decided we just wanted to pull up beside a, a lake 
and we pulled up for the night, had a good sleep to get up in the morning to make sure that our map navigation was good, that we were going in the right direction, that we weren't just driving blindly through the night and end yeah. up in private property. Um, got up in the morning, had breakfast, had a bit of a conference about where we're going, what we're going to do. Uh, did some local research. Spot of fishing. Spot of fishing. <laughs> <laughs> we actually went back into town as well to get a few more supplies. Yeah. Yep. Um, where I went to a local building site, which wasn't too far away, <laughs> and because um, I didn't have a red roarer with me, and where we were going, we were told, um, you know, that there were going to be some reds on the ground, and they wouldn't give me a piece of poly pipe until I actually <laughs> gave them a demonstration of a red roaring, and they're like, "Oh, cheerio!" <laughs> <laughs> so my very bad impersonation scored us a bit of poly pipe, and off we went to our hunting location. So going back to hunting with mates. Um, it does, didn't matter what disappointment we'd faced at that point in time. None of us had thrown the towel in or had a long face like a horse, you know. Yeah. We are all having a bit of a chuckle. We just refueled, regrouped and got on with it. And we parked up and then we had probably a 3K or 4K walk into our next location. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, about at, an hour or so, yeah. Yeah, about an hour and a bit, which we were told in New Zealand. It wasn't relatively steep or anything like that compared to where we'd just been to. Yeah. Like yeah, a, it was good walk. Like an old, like a track. Like it was basically a track we were following. Yep. Full drive track. Uh, old logging track or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was good. We had reds roaring at us on the way in. Yeah, there was, yeah, that red farm as we were coming in, private property. There's reds roaring through there. There's reds roaring in the, um, in the logging area where the coop was. And I think it's important to remember that when you're in um, another person's country, that as much as we had these magnificent red stags roaring at us on the way in, <laughs> that and that was private property, we could have quite easily had, um, hopped the fence, but we didn't. Even the whole way in, there was quite a lot of temptation, but we knew where we were legal to hunt. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that in itself is really important. Dude, yeah, you always check the maps, do the right thing. Yep. It's not worth it. No, it's not worth it for... A number of different reasons without going to that. But then we got to our hut where we knew that there was there was a hut, there was no one in it, and we stayed Fingers there. Fingers crossed there was no one in it. Yeah, <laughs> when we got there, there wasn't anyone in it, so that was pretty cool. Um, we cleaned it up, um, which water. was water. Water. Yeah, and a little. On your head, yeah, it was fireplace. Unreal. And we hunted out for the next couple of days. Yep. Um, Brenda was probably. The closest out of those few days to bagging um, a tar. got closer. <laughs> 79 yards. Yeah. <laughs> you were around off, didn't you? At a, at a yeah, I hit one. Hit one, yeah. Hit and lost one. And it went, <laughs> into the cavernous. Put its parachute abyss, on. Yeah. yeah. Put its parachute on and catch you later. You'll never catch me alive, said he. And Marty was uh, the next closest, I guess, at the point where he was um, phoning... Home to make sure that things that ha- had to get done, as you do, sometimes. I think I was actually on the phone with Brennan's wife, Tanith. Yeah, to let make us know how we were all going. Because was heavily pregnant at the time. Yeah. Because um, we got reception, and uh, I was like, "Oh, there's these goats looking at me. What are they doing <laughs> up here?" And I was like, "Oh no, they're tar. Sorry, you gotta go. Bye." <laughs> Always the way. And Marty got some absolutely mint footage of them so, looking at him, going, "What yeah. the hell are you doing?" So yeah, managed to close the gap down sixty uh, from one hundred and twenty to sixty yards, I think. But yeah, just. Crappy angle or shitty angle on the tar, so I didn't take a shot, so it's all good. 
But we all had a fantastic time. You know, like I got close to bull tie myself, got within 100 yards, and then the bull tie decided that it was going to go vertically up about 700 metres, and I was not doing that. <laughs> Especially with a stick bow. Yeah. So I was hunting with a stick bow. Uh, I got very close to some fallow. It got very close to some red. Um, all those sort of bits and pieces. But, you know, I think that the highlight of the trip for me was actually Brendo's <laughs> very... Goose curry. Goose curry. <laughs> we, no matter who... I mean, coming back to it, just coming off topic a little bit about gear and what to take and that sort of stuff, hanging out with your mates really makes the trip, I think. Yeah. You know, and... Um, one particular day, I'd I'd been rained out the day before, and I just wanted to hang some gear out. And um, Marty and Brendo wanted to take off and go hunt some really high country, and I think they did about um, an average of fifteen hundred to two thousand metre direct climb straight up. Where I'd then tasked myself for the day to go and get firewood. So New Zealand is nothing like Australia. If you're out in the scrub or out in the bush or out in the woods or whatever they want to call it. The firewood over there is wet. <laughs> Real wet. It is not like... And it's just pine. It's just... Frame, framing pine. It's just junky stuff compared to Australia in as far as a fire condition. But I decided that um, in the little hut that we had, there was a tiny little wood, like wood-fired heater that I'd spend as much of the day as I could taking the splitter with me like lumberjack Dan... <laughs> And going out into the bush and um, hawking a whole bunch of timber and bringing it back so that at night when the boys came home they had a hot feed and I could listen to their war story, so to speak, um, and uh, enjoy that with a, with a, with a, a hot... An ale? Yeah, with an ale. <laughs> so, Brenda came back with these goose... Breasts. Breasts. <laughs> yeah. Luck, or do luck, I, luck. I think I brought the whole birds back. Actually. You better explain yeah. what species yeah. it is. Yeah, so they're a Canada goose. Canadian goose. Canadian yeah. goose. Which is a declared pest in New Zealand. Yep. With no game restriction. Restriction. Yeah. So that you can hunt them with a rifle. You can, you know, hunt them any means necessary because they're under that pest yep. class. Um, and they mustn't move a whole lot up the river systems. They just eat and feed along the rivers. But yeah, I remember, you know, like I really like um, a show called Meat Eater. It's an American show with um, Steve Rinella and in one of their episodes, he's over there with Remy Warren and um, yeah, I'd like I just remember them just shooting a goose on their way in and cooking up a yeah. couple of breasts <laughs> in the hut. And I, ever since I've seen that and I was like, if I ever go to New Zealand, oh, I'm going to get me a goose. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think I seen him on the first day with Marty and I, we walked up the river and you could hear him. You could just hear them calling to each other. And what noise do they make, Brandon? Look, 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 Too true. And, uh, yeah, so once we seen them, um, I was like, yeah, I'm going to get them at some point. But that day, I, I chose not to get them that day because it was sunny and, um, you know, I wanted to make the most of the sunshine, so hunted further up the hill. But, you know, on that rainy day, that was the day I decided I was going to make a goose curry because we'd already, I think we'd already, like when we got supplies or we walked out maybe early that morning I went and got some coal and, um, yeah, maybe a few ales and some servo pies or something. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, and, yeah, I got some, some more ingredients for the goose curry and went for a bit of an arvo hunt. And, uh, yeah, got a couple of geese, cut the breasts out, and they were delicious. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I don't know whether it was because of the fact that we were close to freezing, um, but we had the f- first entree, I guess, was goose breast. Breast. 
Salt and pepper. That was salt and pepper and fried in a really cheap L foil sort of <laughs> topping on, on the wood heater. And we ate that with uh, Vita Wheat biscuits. <laughs> And it was the damn best thing that we'd ever had, thinly sliced, and it was medium rare. While the goose curry, which was had uh, too much coconut milk. <laughs> Just the right amount, if you Just eat delicious. it in human portions. <laughs> you know, I may have drunk and Yogi, eaten the whole lot. Yogi bared it. <laughs> <laughs> which had some strange biological effect on me at about 2 o'clock in the morning when I woke up and Marty thought I was having nightmares. Because um, unfortunately for Marty, um, or... You know, fortunately for me, Marty's hunted enough with me to know that uh, I do suffer from nightmares from my PTSD stuff. And I do wake up at all sorts of weird times of the night, screaming, punching, doing all sorts of weird stuff. Well, this particular night, I may have indulged in way too much goose curry and alcohol. And (laughs) I think it was about 2 o'clock in the morning. And Marty had been um, trekking with his um, Crocs. And I remember fighting my sleeping bag knowing that I needed to get out of my sleeping bag fairly quickly (laughs) and into Marty's Crocs and out of the hut for the biological disaster that was about to implode. (laughs) And I spent the next two hours outside just... (laughs) (laughs) repainting (laughs) (laughs) repenting my bear like image and um, (laughs) hunger so don't eat too much Luck, 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 luck. <laughs> Go easy on the coconut cream. <laughs> so anyway, it's a, it makes the trip, you know, when you're going out with mates and you're having a really good time. Yeah, so, a good spirit lifter. Yeah, it was just, you know, the next day I was a little ginger around what I was going to put into my stomach. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it was just it's just an unreal time to hang out with some guys. Go and have a shot at um, hunting in an area which you don't take a guide um, we're doing it again next year. Overseas. Overseas. Uh, and I do believe that the experience that we've had in New Zealand, and thanks to all of our New Zealand brothers and sisters that have helped us and are going to help us in the future that with the offers of it, that I think that we could go anywhere in the world as a three, three blokes, um, really good mates, and have a dig at hunting anywhere and survive it. Um, I think it really builds a lot in relation to mental health and um, just that bond, you know, that you talk about when you're 60 or 70 years old, you know. Yeah. So thanks, guys, for spending the last couple of hours retelling our hunting camp trip to New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it's not too boring for those people that want to listen (laughs) and um, pick up some tips, I guess, on maybe where to look at or whatever. Please don't feel that... um, you can't message um, Honey Camp. Just do that, Honey Camp Down Under. Do that on the web store um, or on the website itself. And um, Brendan um, and Martin and myself, thank you very much for your time tonight. Uh, all right. I, I know that we've, I think, killed a whole bottle of Jack Daniels in between <laughs> all of this. But, um, yeah, unreal, yeah. guys. No worries, I yeah. I just want to, uh, yeah, thank you both for a great trip. Um, you know, it's something that I've wanted to do ever since, like we were talking about earlier, ever since I picked up a hunt magazine, you've seen Tara in it and, um, you know, it's sparked something and I'm, it's been a trip of a lifetime for me and 
um yeah i can't wait to see what the future has in store hopefully we can uh all nail one each um and yeah thanks very much to herbie for putting all this together and marty and um yeah craig for letting us you know do this so it's great yeah it's good to see it's good for hunters to talk about their experiences and share information and it's a great format podcast i love it um you know, it's it's great. You can just turn the radio off and put your podcast on <laughs> yep. and you get to hear what you want to hear. You know, you don't have to listen to commercials or you get to hear some good stories. So it's good. So appreciate good it. Good laugh halfway through. Yep. Closing words, Marty? Um, yeah, like we said, this was our first trip. We're no need experts or anyone like that. Probably the Stanowski boys. Um, they're someone that I've looked up to, especially Doug um, and Tony. Uh, been over there probably I don't know maybe 15 years or 20 years ago um, so yeah those boys if you want to get in touch with those about some more technical questions you could speak to them because um, they're people that I look up to like yeah we're all human at the end of the day we need to, people to look up to and have our own goals I guess yeah totally so yeah no nah, like Brennan said yeah thanks Herbie for organising a fair bit of it and um yeah we had a good crew we had no one sort of flip out or yeah crack the sad so no it was a good time away um like i said we <laughs> it wasn't long enough and people saying you need to spend a whole month over there but obviously yeah if you work for yourself it's a bit hard <laughs> trying <laughs> to get money a couple yeah. of kids and whatever <laughs> yeah so no it was good and uh yeah fingers crossed um yeah when we go back we can make it all happen just to get an animal on the ground will be yeah another bonus i guess to just going away and seeing all that mountainside and country yeah yeah you know dramas guys well once again um this is a podcast from hunting camp down under um any of the products that we've mentioned throughout are are non-sponsored um and they're hopefully a fair and honest appraisal of what we found worked for us so it wasn't so much um, about promotion or demotion of other products. It was just what we found um, that we took with us. So we hope you all take something away from tonight's episode. So thanks again. Um, I honestly think that hunting brings a closer worldwide family together. Um, and you never know what sort of new interesting people that you'll meet through a hunting experience. And I hope that you're all better for it. Enjoy your hunting. Be safe, be secure, and I'll catch you all soon. Thanks very much. See ya. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Hunting Countdown on a podcast. If you would like any information from today's show, please don't hesitate to contact us on huntingcampdownunder at gmail.com or simply hit us up on any of our social media outlets on Instagram or Facebook. Be sure to join us next week for another awesome episode and we look forward to sharing another story from Hunting Camp Down Under. Bye for now.